0: I grew up in a all white neighborhood so I didn't have a lot of friends in the early days, so I had to entertain myself. So Saturday mornings you're watching whatever the cartoons are and you got your superheroes, so okay, I can put a towel around my neck, I can build a fort, build the bat cave in in the house or something like that. So it's a lot of that daydreaming and probably wishing that you could if you had superpowers you could change things. You could change the racism that was going down, you know, that's simplifying it as a a youth. So I was always enamored with comics.
1: Jimmy Smith grew up in Michigan in the 60s and 70s. And by the 90s, he had a thriving career in the advertising world. He was working under Dan Wyden of Wyden Kennedy, Literally the firm that coined the Nike slogan, just do it. After working on an ad campaign based on comics, Dan encouraged Jimmy to write a comic about anything he wanted. Jimmy had lived in California at the time of the Los Angeles riots. And he channeled that history and violence into his comic, a graphic novel called The Truth. And he set it to take place in the future, the year 2020. The Truth outlines a future in which racial tensions in America are exacerbated by a villain named Toxin that feeds on hatred and bigotry. Sound familiar? Welcome to Your Attention Please, the companion podcast to the Hulu series of the same name that introduces us to present day makers of Black history. I'm Kimberly Drew, curator, writer, and co-editor of the anthology Black Futures. Today, I talk to Jamie Smith about comics, Black history, and how brands engage with cultural movements. Welcome.
0: Hey, Welcome. Kimberly. What it do? Thank you for having me.
1: I'm so happy that you are with us, and I'm really very excited for today's conversation because... There are so many directions that we can go in. But just to kick things off, I would love to first, of course, talk to you about your brilliant segment on your attention, please. What were some of the things that you really wanted to make sure that especially a 2021 audience uh, would understand about the truth?
0: Well, it wasn't supposed to be a 2021 story in book. It was I, I just picked 2020. That's when it takes place in the story. I just picked that out because... I didn't want to have flying cars. You know, I didn't want to make it 2100. I didn't want to have us being on Jupiter and all that kind of stuff. So I wanted it just enough into the future where people thought that it was believable that something could get this screwed up and um, be kind of like a warning shot to maybe do something about it. And so I thought it was going to blow up in um, 1999 when it came out. <laughs> it, it was it was, um, you know, not too long after the whole um, O.J. thing, and there was a lot of ugliness going on there, and um, just seemed like a good time, especially given my background, where I was. I was in Oregon, where and Oregon is at the time it was ninety four percent white, and um, at the time it was the had the highest concentration. A white supremacist in the United States. I don't know what it is now, but at that time, that was that was the deal. So it, it was a, it was a little weird, but it was fun. It, it was an interesting dynamic. Like when I would go, I was at Widening and Kennedy, Nike's advertising main night mm-hmm. ad agency, and um, working with Nike, and I'm working with all these um, most of the, the majority of the time black athletes, and um, it was just really dope. It was like off the skillet, as I like <laughs> to say, and then when you go outside of that bubble, it's like we had, you talk about quarantine bubbles. So when you would go outside of that bubble, it was like, whoa, a little, di- little different out here. Like one of the, one time my wife smoked. was taking my son sequel and Rel to a, a basketball practice and she was trying to find it. And it was away from where we normally live. And she saw a bunch of white cats with their guns and stuff. It was like a militia. I guess they were in training. They didn't see smoking the boys, but I guess they were doing their little training thing. She said, let me get the hell on out of here. So it was all those types of things that were going down. And and as um, an African-American male, stuff that you noticed that most of the time um, white folks don't notice.
1: Mm. It's interesting to think about being a parent, being in an environment that isn't very open to you or your family, and then taking that into the creative realm to storytell. When you were making this comic book, I know that you were making it for that that time. But can you tell me about who you were making it for? Because I imagine it might have been for your sons.
0: It, it was definitely for my sons. I mean, you got these young dudes, young black boys, growing up in in uh um, difficult times. Always, if you're if you're a person of color, male or female, and um, definitely for them, for their friends. And you just want to make it a better place. You're sitting up there going, man, we're closing in on 2000 and it's still fucked up. And the climate was much different than obviously 2020, um, 2020, what went down in 2020 and what had been building up. I mean, I don't know if George Floyd had happened when Mike Brown went down. You had to have all of those. Unfortunately, all of those happened going all the way back to Rodney King. So we were in, That I wrote this in 96, 97. So you're only talking about um, four or five years after the whole Rodney King thing went down, right? So I was in San, when the verdicts came down, I was in San Francisco working on a, a radio campaign. And next thing you know, screw the radio campaign. I'm out there protesting, walking around with everybody else. And we ended up at one of the more famous churches in um, San Francisco and everybody just piled in. And the beautiful thing about it, it, there was, um, I remember it wasn't just a black thing, even then, inside walking around with the protesters in San Fran, it was everybody, um, every race, color and creed under the sun and inside of that church. And you're going, why does it have to take something like that in order for us to get what's going on? And then after that, after things kind of quieted down, settled down, Smoke and Sequel and Rel and I went to, and they were only four, five, three, and four, something like that. And we went over there and helped clean up. Mm. So even though they don't remember that because they were too young, mm-hmm. it those experiences were building up. And you just want a better world for not only your sons, but everybody. I mean, the, the potential of America is... Uh, to me, unlike any other country in the world.
1: So what were some of the stories that influenced you as a young person?
0: The first man to die in the Revolutionary War was Black, Crispus Attucks. That's the first cat. And half the town of Boston came out for his um, funeral procession. And he was buried in a cemetery where only whites were allowed. But because of what he did, his sacrifice— So, this guy's dying for something that does not exist. They do not want you. Slavery lasts for basically another hundred years or something like that. And here he is dying for an ideal. So, all of that stuff, when you, my parents used to, my mom and dad, James and Evelyn, woo woo, (laughs) rest in peace, rest in power. They had comic books when I was young. And I didn't just have Superman and, you know, Spider Man and all that kind of stuff, I had comics on Frederick Douglass. Harriet Tugman, stuff like that. So mixing those two, and I never told anybody this before, Kimberly. But now that I think about it, that makes perfect sense. I had my my superheroes who you know had these powers, and then you had real life superheroes, and they were all in the comic vein when I was growing up. I mean, obviously I read books and all that kind of stuff, but as a kid, I gravitated towards the uh, words mm-hmm. and pics.
1: I want to ask a question that feels really relevant right now and might not feel relevant for where you are in your life. But I'm curious because especially knowing that you were at White and Kennedy, we're in this interesting moment uh, culturally, especially after the uprisings of last summer, where we're seeing a lot more corporate messaging in relationship to race and equality. You see larger brands who are either saying Black Lives Matter for the first time or saying Stop Asian Hate. And I wonder, I wonder, one just what you think about that because I mean, in my media history, I've just never seen anything like that. And I wonder if you had any thoughts about this shift that we're seeing.
0: I was just talking to somebody about this, and um, it's really interesting because when I originally wrote the truth, and I'm answering your question. When I mm-hmm. originally wrote it, it it was, um, you know, the a reason it exists is because of Dan Wyden, Dan Wyden from Wyden and Kennedy the one of the co-founders along with david kennedy nike killed this whole campaign this comic book campaign for peekaboo street a skier nothing the whitest sport (laughs) on planet earth and for this white woman who's got a lot of soul peekaboo is 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 dope and um nike killed it a week before it was going to air like it was done spots done and um dan said you know the famous story is dan said was screw nike why don't you write your own comic book and i and i said i would if i had the money and he said i'll pay for it right so dan wyden put up three hundred thousand dollars for this um comic book that he had no idea what it was going to be he didn't know the subject matter i didn't tell him he didn't say go away write me a little paragraph a little treatment and you know tell me what you know let me see. And you know, maybe I'll put up the money for it. That's what I would have done. <laughs> I would have said, I need to see what you're gonna write first before I'm gonna put up the money. He did not do that. He was, go away, I'll put up the money for it, write what you're gonna write. So I came back with this whole thing of of the truth, the divided nation, racism, hatred, and whatever and whatnot. You know, I was waiting on him. I had been he had it for a little minute and I was waiting on him to respond, waiting on him to respond. Finally I went down to his office. And I said, dude, did, did you read it? And he goes, yeah. And, and the, the look of pain in his face, I, I, I hate it. And that was very Dan. He's going to tell you the truth, right? He mm-hmm. said, I hate it. And I said, wow. And he still put up the money for it. He hated it and still put up the money for it. Fast forward to 2020 after George Floyd, many of the white folks like that who did not get it and there was nothing you could say to them to help them get it, you know, pre-George Floyd. And once George Floyd went down, those who had hearts, those who had souls, those who um, actually could be reached, who just genuinely, for whatever reason, is, is odd to us because we've lived it. How, how do you not see that? But they couldn't. But when that happened, it was like a Paul moment. I've been reading, we've been, uh, me and my prayer group have been reading um, Acts. And so Paul, the apostle, Jesus came down to him and said, dude, what are you doing? And it just completely flipped, right? White folks have, those that are capable, have completely flipped.
1: Right. And I think that there's such an incredible need and urgency in the media that we're digesting, the conversations like these that we're having, for us to really unearth those things, to help, I guess, shift the dialogue. I don't know, I sit in this position constantly of knowing enough to know how bad things are, but also knowing enough to know the potential for change. Um, because I think, I don't know, I, I wonder, you know, you we're revisiting, of course, this project, The Truth, you know, more than two decades after it was created, for you in present day, are you feeling optimistic about the world or you know, like how how do you sit with this history that you very much foresaw? Um, what are you thinking about now?
0: I think it's gonna be dope. I don't know. I just don't know. Let's see. I was here for the the cassette thing and then it turned into the C D and now it's the MP3s and all of that kind of stuff, right? Vinyl to cassette to the and and then same thing with um, when it went from VHS, it was VHS and Beta. It's probably before your time, but it was VHS. I and was beta. there.
1: Okay, you were there. You were there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then it went to the DVD, and now we're on Blu-ray, right? But but it's slow. I, I don't know where we are in the evolution of how quickly it's going to switch over to. Oh um, no. We don't do shit like that. No, that's that's not how we roll. But it is going. It is going to happen. Either that, or the good Lord's gonna come get us. Either he's coming to get us. So it's just a matter of when that happens and when the switch happens. But it, it'll it'll happen, and we'll lead the world as it. it people like you, people like y'all, people. You, we're in the. We're in Disney now. We're in Hulu now. We're in um, ABC and ESPN. And you got LeBron James doing his thing, right? And, and black athletes, as I'm reminded by Dr. Harry Edwards, have always been at the forefront of, of change, all the way back to Jesse Owens and you know, up there in front of Hitler. But we're in there. We ain't going to sit up there and turn around and say, you know what? We're going to go back. Let's let's that, that's you can't stop the momentum of that, so it's going to change. And then there's going to be there's going to be that capital riot thing is going to happen again. I'm not saying that the capital, but something, um a few of those things are going to happen again, right? You know, act a fool because the more desperate they as as they see the change come, it, it's it's kind of weird. It's something you don't want. The more desperate. Somebody gets the more um, willingness they are to do something truly, truly as if it hadn't already happened, but offensive, right? So, but that's really a sign that progress is being made.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's funny. I think all the time about being on the offensive and not necessarily in this, in the way of like off, like being offensive, but really thinking about how to continue to take a front seat role in your learning. You know, learn from your neighbor, learn from, you know, all of these movements, learn from, you know, from whomever you can to better enrich your experience as a human being. Um, Because I think that that is this moment that we're in. And that's why you're seeing these incredible pendulum swings of tolerance and intolerance is that we're, we're of course progressing forward. And I think the, the, the metaphor and analogy related to technology is a perfect one. There was a point where, I mean, in my household in 1996, my dad was like, we're getting a computer. And my mother was like, no, we are not. And it was the battle royale, okay? It was the battle royale. My dad was like, this is the future. My mom was like, no, it's not. And, you know, like, both of them are right. But you have to to think about how these progressions are going to continue to happen. You know, like, these modes of thinking will go in and out of flow, These things will be scary. These things will be expensive. The cost of technology or the cost of lies. And the hope is that we can get to a space that's less expensive. Like, that's my big hope, is that there don't have to be moments where we see bloodshed in the streets, where we see destruction, where we see, you know, just unmitigated hate. We shouldn't have to see these big flare-up moments to stop and say, okay, maybe we need to— find a better way of coexisting. Maybe we need to, you know, take very seriously messages of hate and figure out how to find a a more common ground that's much more interested in a politic of equality and equity. It shouldn't take extreme violence. Okay. We're gonna take a break here because we have some great questions from Hulu subscribers who have watched Jimmy's segment on your attention please. And after that, we'll talk about his hopes for the future of the truth. If you have a question for any of the makers that we'll be talking to later this season, please leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858 for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode of the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. First, we have a question from Chris in California, who asks, what drew you to comic books versus other art forms?
0: I'm into all types of art. So it's not per se um, drew it, it drew me to it. It was, we were working on a comic book for Nike and Dan said, do your own comic book. If, if we were, had done a, a sculpture. And he said, well, do your own sculpture. And we, we would have done that, right? It, it just it, it was the circumstances of it. But in my family, my brother is a Tony Award winning poet, poetry. He was on Broadway. He was in por- um Deaf Poetry Jam. Um, he um, is an Emmy Award winner. So he's a writer. And um, my sister is in the band. She's got her own band, Welcome Home, D, And she's an actress. My wife, Smoke, draws, paints writes, does all types of stuff, right? And my sons, they direct, they produce, they edit, and all that. So that's just the core of the family. So, but if you take it to a comic book, just back in the day, again, Walt Disney, I grew up in a all-white neighborhood so I didn't have a lot of friends in the early days, so I had to entertain myself. So Saturday mornings, you're watching whatever the cartoons are, and you got your superheroes, so okay, I can put a towel around my neck, I can build a fort, build the bat cave in in the house or something like that. It was a lot of that daydreaming and probably wishing that you could, if you had superpowers, you could change things. You could change the racism that was going down. You know, that's simplifying it as a a youth. So I was always enamored with comics.
1: I love this next question because there is an eight-year-old in my life who is totally obsessed with comic books. Sophia in New York asks, how do you start a comic book? What are some of the first steps?
0: The very first thing, and it's the hardest thing, is to sit down and just write. That that is the deal. It, it, it's the hardest thing to one of the hardest things is to sit down. You got you got this idea, and you have like, man, I got a good idea. I got a good idea. I need to write that down. Eliminate. I need to write that down. I am writing that down. I'm I'm doing that now. So that's that's your first start. And then you want to come up with um, a cool name. And uh, do your research, re- read, um, check out and see what types of characters that are out there. So you want to come up with a cool name for the um, for your comic, a cool story. And but the powers, if you want to do the superhero joint, you know, they all don't have to be superhero joints. I learned that. <laughs> right. But if you're doing the superhero joint, um, originality, originality, originality is is the key. And I'm not saying the truth is the most original, but that's that was what we were aspiring to to do is to come up with something um, original. So don't settle on your first. um, Okay, he can fly. Okay, he's strong or whatever. Don't settle on those first few things. Just keep going. Keep digging. Keep digging. Doesn't mean he can't he or she can't fly or whatever, but make sure their their strength, their super, super strength is something um, that you don't see every day. But still, don't sit up there and don't not write it down simply because you haven't come up with that thing yet. Just blah, blah, blah. Just write it down, write it down, even the stupid ideas.
1: As part of this project, you partnered with Hulu to support a nonprofit, and you chose ARC the Anti-Recidivism Coalition. Could you tell us about ARC and why the work they do is so important?
0: Yeah, ARC takes um, ex-convicts, ex-prisoners, those who've been released from prison, and helps them to find meaningful employment, meaningful jobs. And these guys, when I met them through um, the NFL, they helped build the Los Angeles Rams and L.A. Chargers Stadium, SoFi Stadium. And if you've ever seen that stadium, it's like one of the most beautiful stadiums um, you'll ever see. And they helped build that. And, and those jobs aren't just temporary jobs. Everybody needs construction. And um, particularly coming out of um, COVID, Lord's willing, there's going to be more buildings, more. Um, I mean, President Biden is putting up God knows how much money for infrastructure, right? So the people that ARC has worked with, those who that worked on that stadium are going to be involved with that. And not just construction, they can do a lot more than that. And so they just help them find meaningful folks who've been incarcerated and have been released instead of them just saying, what am I going to do? They help them, you can do this, you can do that, and you can earn a living doing this and doing that and provide for you and your family
1: returning to the truth would you remake the truth for the future which year would you pick and or would you continue the truth as it exists paired with you know some more of the realities of right now
0: well i went to um there's there's been a a run on amazon to buy the truth and i had my my text messages were blowing up jimmy i can't find it can't find it give me a copy give me a copy and i'm like that was 20 something years ago, this stuff is all in storage. I had given up on it. So (laughs) I thought nobody was going to care. Like nothing was going to happen. So I went to storage and I didn't know I had that many. I got like 30,000 copies. So I'm damn sure going to get that out. Right. And, and make it if the Lord is willing, I'm going to make it as uh, make it as it is now. And I would like to take the route of, um, I'm a big dreamer and big believer. So take the route of what happened with Star Wars, right? Where he told his story, George Lucas told his story and then built around that. You know, he did the prequels, he did the afterward stuff and animation so I hope to do that. So it will continue, lord's willing, and it will have to evolve can't keep telling the same exact story, right? But the themes of it, like I said, it's going to take a little minute for things to improve. So thinking about how they would improve, what would happen if this would have happened? And I don't know, what would have happened if they would have taken over the Capitol? For real, for real, like long-term. <laughs> yeah, i tweak it. Uh, i tell it what the way it is now, but as it grows, so, it, and you said, what year would I pick i don't think it would be a year like if i I did it started we did the film today i would hope like george lucas did um star wars in 1977 that's when we first saw it so however many years that is so i would look at it like that it would just keep evolving growing and as things changed and improved or didn't change and didn't improve it would address those various issues
1: Love that! I love a good origin story. I'm all here. I'm like down in the bone gristle of any superhero origin story, especially villains. Love a villain origin story where I would just—that would be my my meat and cheese for the rest of my life.
0: So Toxin, the villain, that would be a dope ass origin story for Toxin, because that that goes back, because he goes back in in history to the founding of the country and and beyond. In in hatred so to be able to drop science on folks in an entertaining format that'd be dope
1: oh my god i would love a toxin origin story we need that thank you so much jimmy for sharing so generously for taking the time to write and for being with us today
0: well thank you kimberly you made it easy to do the interview so that's that's what's up thank you
1: I don't know about y'all, but I'm gonna keep my eye on Jimmy in case he has any other premonitions about the future, the past, or in case we finally get the toxin origin story. If you enjoyed this conversation, don't you worry. We've got so much more to come. We'll be talking to all of the makers from season two of Your Attention Please on this podcast. So if you haven't already, watch the show now streaming on Hulu. The episodes are also available for free on Hulu's YouTube channel. If you have a question for any of the makers that we'll be talking to later this season, please leave us a voicemail at 504-475-4858 for a chance to have your question featured on an upcoming episode of the podcast. So be sure to subscribe, Leave us a rating, write a review, forward it to your cousin. It'll help more people find this show. Episodes are available literally anywhere and everywhere that podcasts are found, and also right within the Hulu platform. Don't be afraid to find what you love, share it with the world, and scream from the mountaintop, your attention, please. Your Attention Please, the podcast, is a production of Hulu and Pineapple Street Studios. Our executive producers are Jenna Weiss-Berman, Max Linsky, Jayanne Barry, and Barry Finkel. Our lead producer is Sophia Steinert-Evoy, and our associate producer is Brianna Garrett. The Your Attention Please theme song is composed by Teddy Walton. Our show is engineered by Davey Sumner, and of course, I'm your host, Kimberly Drew. You can find me on social media at, at MuseumMammy. That's all for this week, but we'll be back next Tuesday with more Black Excellence.